0: Technical debt is not bad. It's like any other kind of debt. We are going to take it on at some point. And as long as it's not too much, then we're okay.
1: That was Jessica Hall telling us that technical debt is okay. And that if you do any web project or any programming or technical project for some amount of time, you're going to have technical debt. Jessica Hall is the Vice President of Product and Strategy and Design at 3Pillar Global. And we are going to talk about something that made a bunch of news a couple of months ago. That's the Accenture Hertz case. Uh, if you don't remember the Accenture Hertz case, Hertz, Hertz hired a firm called Accenture to redo their website and mobile app. They spent a bunch of money, like $32 million and claim they had nothing to show for it. Jessica is going to go through the four pitfalls that this uh, project went through and how to avoid them. With some time uh, behind us since the story broke, we're going to sit back and look at exactly how it happened. And like I said, Jessica is going to show us how it can be avoided. There's a lot of really great actionable advice and information in this episode, and the show notes are plentiful. You can find those over at howibuilt.it. So let's get into this interview without further ado, right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Ahoy, the easiest way to increase customer engagement on your WordPress site. Install Ahoy, create a message box, configure where to display it, and start seeing conversions come in. You can create messages for card abandonment, upsells and cross-sells, custom support, and so much more. Ahoy's flexible conditions let you choose exactly where and when you want your message to be displayed. I've recently installed it on my own WooCommerce site, and I've already seen increased engagement. And I know this because of Ahoy's powerful analytics and reporting. You will see ROI within days of installing Ahoy, if not sooner. And that's even more true for listeners of How I Built It. You can get an exclusive 20% discount on any plan. Visit useahoy.com howibuiltit and use the code HOWIBuiltit at checkout. That's useahoy.com, U-S-E-A-H-O-Y, useahoy.com slash howibuiltit and the discount code how i built it use those today increase your engagement and sales on your wordpress site thanks to ahoy for their support of this show hey everybody and welcome to another episode of how i built it the podcast that asks how did you build that today my guest is Jessica Hall the VP of product strategy and design at three pillar global Jessica how are you today
0: it's great nice nice to be here thanks for having me
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, When uh, you and your team reached out uh, to talk about uh, the subject that we're going to talk about today, I was pretty excited because it it was timely and I think very interesting. Um, But before we uh, get to that, I guess it's not a big reveal if people see the title of the episode. But before we get to that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: Yeah, I lead the product management, user experience, and consulting teams at Three Pillar. We've been in business for about thirteen years, and we're a product development services company. We really help clients from small size to enterprise figure out what's the right client, what's the right product to build, help build it, help continue to improve and evolve their products so that they can drive their businesses forward.
1: That's that's fantastic, and uh, that makes you uh, perfectly positioned to talk about. Uh, the Accenture Hertz case, uh, which is, I guess, a few weeks old as we record this, um, and and this episode is coming out over the summer. But uh, for those who need a reminder, uh, what exactly uh, what exactly went on in the Accenture Hertz case that we're going to talk about today?
0: So usually, when a big company is involved in a challenging project, you don't hear much about it. But every once in a while, it goes so wrong. That someone decides to sue somebody else and they're so pissed off that they, you know, dish all the dirt all over the internet. And in this particular case, Hertz had hired Accenture to redo its website and its mobile app to improve the Hertz customer experience. I mean, every company right now is competing for customers, and customers are in charge. So you need to provide a quality experience that's easy to use, that has the right features, that's attractive because everybody else can just go somewhere else. So they engaged uh, Accenture to do this work and they spent about $32 million and had nothing to show for it. $32 million and they said the work that was done was so bad that they had to spend an additional $10 million with another company to get to something that could actually be done. So it's pretty amazing to think that you can spend all that money and things are going to go wrong. Now, I think it's important to say that all Accenture has said here is that they intend to fight this and this, this is not the truth. So you know, we'll never know what happened in Hertz and Accenture, but if you read the complaint, and it's about 16 pages and not that hard of a read, you can really kind of get an understanding of why did this go wrong? What are some of the things that happened here that I've seen happen in lots of other companies and companies that are a lot smaller? So I think there's a lot to be learned for from digging into a situation like this and trying to understand why did it go wrong, where did it go wrong, what can I learn in my next project to prevent something from this forever happening?
1: Yeah, I think what what a fantastic summary and primer because you're right. Like thir- I mean, especially for probably a lot of the folks who listen to this show, like uh, thirty two million dollars is. Uh, a, a ton of money right it's it's uh exponentially more than i've ever charged for a project um <laughs> me too though and 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 quite a bit more than you know i've worked on big projects too but nothing in, in that multiple um so uh y- you really do wonder like how how does a 32 million dollar project go wrong and uh, like you said we probably won't know the gritty details right especially if they settle Um, If if this is not a matter of public record, but we have seen high profile projects like this go, uh, you know, go sideways before healthcare.gov is one that came to mind um, as I read this story. And so uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about how uh, both you, the freelancer or you, the agency and you, the hiring party uh, can prevent that from going wrong. Does that sound about right?
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. I think there's a couple things that are specific to this case, but there's about four pitfalls that I've seen pretty commonly. So we can get in, we're going to get, talk a little bit about what happened here, what those four pitfalls are that we see time and time again, and then what to do about it.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. So uh for those who are regular listeners, this this might not be a uh a show in the usual format, but uh, I think that there are is gonna be a lot of value here. So um let's let's start off let's start off with the four pitfalls and then we'll go from there. Uh, if you want to just like save them as bullet points and then we can expand them out.
0: Sure. So a couple things I think were specific to this one. One, it was kind of surprising to look at this. Complaint and see that they tried to do everything all at once. They tried to do the whole website and the whole mobile app all at the same time and launch everything together. That's pretty, I mean, people used to do that, but that's really risky. There's so much that could go wrong. And we're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands, potentially more of dollars if you get it wrong, that experience, rather than doing it in pieces and making sure that we have the right thing. So they did too much right away. They also didn't seem to test it very much. You know, the complaint said that there were a lot of security and vul- vulnerabilities, that they only tested the happy path. So, meaning what people would do if they did everything right. Well, I can tell you from mm-hmm. many years of doing this, nobody does that. Like nobody does right. what they expect you're gonna, you know, what you expect them to do. And that's actually where to me it felt a lot like healthcare.gov. Like they just yeah. dropped it all at once and hope for the best, and they didn't test along the way. Um, we also never saw a mention in the complaint that they were actually engaging with customers that they were doing testing or doing research or trying to figure out what the right answer was for Hertz's customer, which is kind of crazy on something that's stale to think that they're going to get it all right, that they know the answers and what those customers really need. Um, the only the other two things that really kind of jumped out at me when I was reading the complaint was one is that they they got stuck in the middle. So a lot of times people will say, "Oh, we're just going to do a redesign. We're just going to, you know, skin it." This is the the phrase of these. We're just going to skin it, okay? That's a bunch of crap. That never (laughs) ever happens, right? Like you go into. We're just going to change the colors and fonts. They never. They always want to do more stuff like that. It always means backend changes or integration layer changes, and that ends up being a whole bunch more work. So a lot of people don't understand when you open this up, like other stuff is going to be there. You can't just change the color. And maybe that's the way it should be. Maybe that's the way the technology done. But in reality, there's always such messy stuff once you get into this. And a lot of people um, get stuck in that middle ground, or they think, "Oh, I'm going to do a mobile web uh, mobile app." Well, the mobile app piece of it is just the smallest. Where the bulk of the work is going to be on all the um, the integrations with other systems mm-hmm. or the services, and making sure all of those things work. So many people. Only see that top little bit and think that's what they have to do. And then they're completely surprised and frustrated when they discover that that's not it. Um, and you know, one of the other things that hurts wanted to do is a lot of extensibility. So they own multiple properties, so dollar and thrifty. And so they wanted something that was going to work on all of their different brands and they could immediately expand it. And that's good in practice up until the point where it's not. Because Dollar right. and Thrift and these other brands, they have different brand promises, they have different target customers, and they may require different things. And so extensibility is good until the point where you've made it so consistent and so basic that you haven't been able to provide a good experience for that different customer. And the other thing is, doing it that extensible is going to cost a lot of money and a lot of time. So these are definitely common issues. But they really relate to the th- the four things I think people mess up the most. So this is going to be like, let's talk about all the bad stuff and then we'll talk about the good stuff.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's a really great point. So they tried to do this all of this at once. They never engaged in Hertz customers. Uh, they were stuck in the middle as a, we're just going to skin it. I mean, when you said that, I had like visions of my, <laughs> my former jobs. Um, and then there was uh, maybe too much extensibility right where they they're like we're gonna make something so general that could be used for for everything but something that general is uh, needs to be architected well and it needs to um, there's a lot of blanks that you got to fill in if something's that general uh, so yeah so let's let's start with they tried to do all of this at once right because um, you know there's uh, I I, I have a master's in software engineering and we studied uh some statistics for software projects and um in like the 90s during the the period where like the waterfall model was the most popular mm-hmm. uh something like 96% of all software projects failed and it's it it's probably akin to to this reason, right? People were doing everything at once. Now there's the agile method and other uh, methodologies that kind of allow you to do things more piecemeal, create an MVP, and then iterate. And because of the tools and the platforms we have, we can do that today. So, um, uh, if if I'm a potential client and I need uh, and I need a project of this size, what what do I do to make sure that they're not going to try to do things all at once?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, point. Um, it's funny you talked about the 90s because the Agile Manifesto was written in 2001, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it really yeah. came on the back end of it. And not to say that Agile doesn't have its challenges, sure. but if you're you know, someone who has got a website or a mobile app or some sort of product and it's time to make a big investment, it can be really tempting to say, I'm going to do it all at once and I just want people who are going to execute against this plan. You know the funny thing about Waterfall? It's actually the most efficient way to make software. It really is. If you designed it all at once, and then you built, architected it all at once, and then you built it all at once, that would be awesome. The problem is, we don't actually know what the right thing is when we start. And things change along the way. And that's why you need Agile. The way I think of Agile is it's about swimming in open water. If you want to get from here to here, Agile is really good about being efficient with your stroke and making sure that when you're swimming, you get as much distance as you can out of that stroke. But you're in open water. There's wind. There's waves. There's boats. There's other people. There's animals <laughs> and things around. And so, if you are just swimming and you're not looking where you're going, and or you know, and making adjustments to making sure you're getting to your intended destination, then we're not going to get there. And so, a lot of people they say, "Oh, we're agile. We're doing agile. We have sprints and we have burn down and all this other stuff." But they're not looking where they're going. They're not saying, Are we headed the right direction? Is this the right thing to do now? Did we know that that was the right answer? And they get really locked into this execution mode and they forget that there's still experimentation that needs to happen um, time and time again. We still need to make sure, like, did that? Do people understand the text on this button? Does this flow work? Does that screen make sense? Is this the kind of way that people think about shopping for this that I need to adjust? So what I think people forget to do in these situations is, A, they're trying to do everything all at once and say, let's just do one flow. Let's just do one thing, one piece of the pie that we can kind of carve out and make sure that works. We've learned how to do it. We've now got the new services. You kind of go end to end. And then let's add and build upon that and then start to take away those other things. You're going to do a couple things. One, you're getting that opportunity to learn from your customers and make sure you have the right thing. Two, from a technology perspective, you're making sure that it kind of works end to end. I can can find something, I can choose something, I can see more about something, I can take action on something. And when you know you have that end to end (coughs) experience, then you've learned a lot about what to do. And then you can build on that learning and teams can get going. It's hard to do because people don't necessarily think like that. I think we have this notion back from, you know, when you're in school, you got an incomplete, right? Incomplete (laughs) was terrible. Like, it's just better than an F. So we don't want to be incomplete and we don't want to, like, slice things up. So, you know, you're worried that, like, oh, I'm never going to get this thing if I'm willing to give this up. So it's kind of being willing to say, I'm going to take the first step And I'm going to trust that there's going to be more steps after it. I will have more opportunities to do things and to to bring them along. So a lot of times, what I tell people is, think about uh, carving it into pieces. Is it one flow? Is it one persona? Is it one piece of the experience? Is it one? You know, to try and look at it and say, what's the smallest thing, and I could just attack this piece of it and and get started. And one of the the other things is. having worked with a lot of clients um, people usually like we you know we usually like the get to know you project
1: mm-hmm. it's small yeah. yep
0: it's self-contained um, to is, as best as possible and it gives you an all of us an opportunity to work together to learn how to work together to make sure we can deploy software because a lot of things go wrong when you're trying to make a deployment so when you're trying to carve off this piece then you have an opportunity to really get to know each other and get comfortable with things and you've done everything. When people try and do too much, then there's just so many dependencies and so many challenges and they get frustrated. But yeah, small, self-contained, go end-to-end, make sure you can actually push something to production. Then you have a good chance to really start off on a strong footing. The other thing people mess up in these situations is they forget the, the, how much context matters. Um, a lot of times, if you're dealing with an agency or a contractor, like okay, here are the stories. Go, go write the code, or okay, here's here's mm-hmm. the here's the design, or here's the brief, or here's the something. Go off and do it. Um, right, the number yeah. one thing I, I see people do wrong, whether they're sitting next to each other, they're in the time zone, they're on the opposite side of the world, people have to understand the context. They have to know like what is this business. How do we make money? What are we trying to do with this project? Who is our customer? And you know, what is the, you know, what are we trying to do here? And if they have that in mind and we we call it the product mindset, then they can build for outcomes. But time and time again, I see people don't invest in context. They like say, well, here's the here's the roadmap and here are your stories. And you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do with this?
1: This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account you only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. I just finished a project with a few friends where we created uh, 40 videos for, um, we created 40 like tutorial videos for a company and we started off by doing one getting the intro and outro right, doing the music and the pacing, and we sent that to them for approval before we started to do all 40 or all 39 of the other ones. Because if we had just disappeared and did 40 videos, and then we come back and they're like, all of these are wrong at this point, or we don't like the music you chose, well, that's a that's a lot of sunk cost. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And then the uh, the other point that you made about understanding context, I think, is is really important too, right? Like with agile, you do have user stories. Uh, with the waterfall method, you you lay out the whole project all at once, and and that does work if if people know what the right thing is and what they need. But um, you know, if you just say, "I need a form," what kind of form? A login form. Uh, is are you sending secure information? Does it need to be on SSL? Uh, do I need the password field? How am I storing it? You know, there's a lot of information uh, aside from just I need a form for this user. So um, the second the second pitfall. So I will say that under the first pitfall, you also mentioned like testing the happy paths. Uh, we've talked about that a bunch of times on this show. About I know I'm a developer. Uh, and I'm very bad at testing my own code because I, you know, it's like building a chair and then slamming it against the wall to see if it breaks. Um, you know, I'm just gonna tap it against the wall <laughs> and oh, it, you know. But somebody, somebody needs to test that chair because I don't want people sitting in it and falling. So um, I think that that's that's super important, right? But um, you, the second pitfall you mentioned was that they never engaged with Hertz customers, right?
0: If they did, they didn't mention it wasn't there. Were sixteen gotcha. pages in there? I never saw one mention of um, they engage with the customers. It says Accenture was there to make all the decisions about what the experience is, which is just nuts. Even as a service provider, why don't no? <laughs> you don't abdicate all your decision making ability. Um, but it was it really struck me that in a project of this scope and scale, that's dealing with something that is highly commoditized, like car rentals where, you know, people are just making, you know, for a lot, some people, you know, have loyalty programs. I think I am a Hertz Gold member, actually. Mm. I don't rent cars hardly ever. But like maybe if I was a hardcore business traveler who always rented a car, I would just go with the place I have loyalty. But you know, when I'm traveling with my own money, I'm going for whatever has got the best deal. And if you're going to be a pain in the butt, I'm not going to do it. So it's kind of shocking to me now, with everything we know that you wouldn't be testing with customers, you wouldn't be understanding, but I, I definitely um, run into people who just think they, they know. They know what people need, and I don't need to test it, and that's just going to slow us down, and we got this. And I can tell you from all my many years of doing this that I know I don't. And every time I learn and test with people, I get better. The team gets smarter. We get smarter as a company. We better more understand by engaging with people in a very human way and kind of understanding them and how we can better serve them. We find new ideas for new things by engaging. That doesn't mean I can't have vision. That doesn't mean I don't have a good strategy. Like, all those things can be true. But then, you know, strategy without testing is just guessing. You're guessing, let's you know you're guessing in a pretty deck that like sounds authoritative but you're still guessing so why don't we go find out
1: yep abs- absolutely and i mean it's um you know if you build something that isn't usable to the customers then it's not usable right you're not building this is something that i've had to tell my own clients over the years is i'm not building this website for you i'm building this website for your customers and your potential customers and so um you know as as a As a freelancer or a a small agency, like what can I, what can I do to help? Try to convince my clients that maybe I should test and talk to the customers, right? Because thirty-two million dollars for a project, um, like it's they probably have the money to do the user testing that they need to do and the surveys and stuff. Um, But you know, if I have a client that's a ten thousand dollar project or a five thousand dollar project, how do I convince them to invest the time in, in listening to their customers?
0: That's a great question, and and one I've seen it go like decline throughout my career, where I had to fight really hard for it, and I've had to fight less and less as the years have gone on, but there's definitely still people who aren't interested. I think one of the things that's the reservation is they feel like it's going to slow them down and it's going to cost a bunch of money, so let's deal with that. We believe that UX research and testing should be fast, flexible, and focused. So fast, flexible, and focused. So we want to do um, regular testing. Uh, We want to do weekly or or, uh, two-week sprints where we're working and figuring stuff out and testing and learning and iterating through and working in in those small chunks. So that's the fast part. We don't need more than like five people. When three people have told you the same thing doesn't work, stop. Stop. You don't need 20. You don't need some crazy sample size. Just stop and fix it and then go find and make sure that you got it right. You know, Nielsen Norman Group has looked at this many times. Diminishing returns kicks in incredibly quickly. So, three to five people look at something, you get a pretty good sense of whether that is going to be right or not. And so, you're able to uh, move quickly. Um, We're able to test in lots of different ways. There is lots of different. Panels and user groups and moderations and remote tools that allow you to be able to test test things without having to have a device lab or spend a bunch of money on sending people out. I mean, I've definitely done it on the street and uh, mm-hmm. and found people and and so you can find. There's lots of companies that uh, we do um, work with user testing and other organizations and they make it really easy for you to do this and cheaper, way easier than it does than when I started out. So you can you can do it fast. Uh, you can do it flexible, and you stay focused on the most important questions. So you know what? If my login screen is like Facebook's or Google's, I'm good. Like, don't really, maybe a little testing. Don't really need to spend time. If there's something that's really important to my brand promise, or that I'm not really sure about, I'm going to invest my time in testing that. So if you're doing this regular testing and feeding the machine, you're going to go faster because you're not going to spend time on as much time on rework. You're going to go faster because your engineers are going to have better context as the problem we're solving and who we're solving them for. And you're going to have a lot less waste and a lot less risk. So even though you think it's going to cost a lot and slow you down and not get you to the right place, we can actually speed up. We can have a better product and we can have less waste and less risk. Because, you know, the for the most part, no very few things are going to go like Hertz and go down in like a yeah. $32 million. Trash like, talk on the internet. Right. Most yeah. things are going to go down with a thud. I don't use it. I'm just going to move on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I so I I love I love what you said here. Um, there are a few things that reminded me of tools that could be very helpful to uh, those who are looking to do fast, focused, and flexible uh, testing. One is Hotjar. Which is just a real, it's a free tool for the basics, right? But you it's screen recordings uh, of people who are using your site. So you can see exactly how people use your t- site. And then uh, Google's A B testing, right? You, you said to focus on the most important question. Um, if you have a landing page, right, are you going to test like the banner color or the call to action? Like the call to action is, is the thing that you're going to want to test because that's more important. And A B testing can help you do a little bit of that focused testing.
0: Um, so they're great tools. Um, yeah. We use Marvel. We use um, user testing. Um, we use a couple of other um, providers and, and things that have definitely um, sped up our tools. And, and I think our tool set, you know, it goes back and forth and is pretty reasonable cost for us. Um, and in some cases, some of these vendors and everyone I talk to, I'm like, listen. I need to be able to do this pass-through. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I do that might be useful is um, when we're doing a project that involves this, right from the get-go, to SOC, I might need I need help recruiting. Here's what that cost looks like. I'm going to pass it through. Um, here's how it's going to affect the timeline. And so I think one of the things, if you want to do user testing and user research in a project and you're an agency, make sure you have that conversation up front about what you're going to do and what you might need And so that when, if you need it, maybe they they can do recruiting. Some people can. Um, Some people can provide enough customers that you don't need to do your own recruiting, but you Mm -hmm. want to be prepared to have that already. You've already talked about it. You've already established what the baseline pricing would look like. You maybe even put it into your contract so that when you need it, now you can just pull the trigger. And so you're not going to get stuck um behind uh, because what'll happen is your now your research is gonna drag on. That may mean everything else drags on, and then you're gonna, you know, cause some problems for yourself. So get that done early. Know where that what you want to do, have the plan, have the plan for recruiting so that when you start, you are ahead. Because if you get behind, everything else is gonna get behind.
1: That's that's fantastic advice. Start start early. So fast, flexible, and focused testing as early as possible. Um, so we are over the halfway mark, and, and there are two more pillars, pitfalls, I'm sorry, there are two more pitfalls uh, that we should discuss here, right? And I want to make sure I, I got them right. They are uh, that don't get stuck in the middle and too much extensibility, right? Are those the two that we still need to cover?
0: Yeah, those are definitely cool. the two that I thought were specific in this, in, in things that particularly if you're you know, an individual contractor or an agency That getting stuck in the middle is tough and that Mm. can cause a lot of pain because a lot of times when people are starting this, and even you and I might be talking to a client, we're like, okay, that seems easy, seems straightforward. Okay, I think I have a notion. And what's the stack? Oh, okay. And then you get in, just be prepared. Like when you get in there, it ain't going to be what you think it is. And some of it will make sense and some of it will not. That's just, and that's not a bad thing. Um, technical debt is not bad. It's like any other kind of debt. We are going to take it on at some point. And as long as it's not too much, then we're okay. As long as we're managing as long as we're thinking about it, then we're going to be, hey, in, in a company that doesn't have any technical debt will probably just go out of business because they didn't actually get a good product to market that anybody wanted to buy.
1: Mm, I, that's so great. Uh, they probably iterated too much. They never released something, and, and then people started to use it. Yep. Uh, they just kept redoing it in, in whatever, Vue, React, Angular, right? going yeah. back. So, they
0: just made something that's technically awesome, but that nobody wanted to, so who cares? It doesn't matter. So right. it's, it's okay to, you're going to find things are going to be harder than you expect them, and that's okay. And then we're gonna, you know, piece by piece, start to untangle it and pull things out and replace them and put them other things. I watched a talk from a VP of engineering at Stitch Fix a couple years ago, and he's like, all of these major companies, they all went from monolith to microservices. They all have to rewrite their whole architecture every couple of years. This is just a natural part. Like these things are gonna happen. It's gonna be kind of messy. We're gonna have to rip it out. So just making sure that when you go into one of those deals, you're like, okay, we're only focusing on the front end. But to manage Mm -hmm. expectations of your client, that these other things could happen, and if they do, that could have a significant impact on both the timeline and the cost. It's kind of like watching one of those home improvement shows and they start taking walls down. They're like, well, Mm -hmm. here are the termites, and this electrical's not up to code. And, um, you know... I now have a fire hazard of some sort. And so when you get in there, those things are going to happen. And that's another reason for just really making sure you're kind of going all the way through and you know you can do something and you can employ it and everything's going to work. You'll be able to monitor it. That way you'll, you'll kind of keep yourself out of trouble. But you're definitely going to have to do some work to manage expectations that this kind of messiness exists. Even when we're all sitting around the table thinking it's going to be easy, it may not be. And somebody's right. going to end up paying for that. You don't want it to be you.
1: Yeah, it's either you're going to pay for it in lost time and sunk costs in the project, or your client's going to pay for it, and that's going to be an unexpected cost for them. Um, yeah. I think that's—I uh, uh, love what you said about technical debt, because you are always going to have it. And I know a lot of people who listen to the show work in WordPress. I've had projects where it, it was you know, just— uh, um, just we're just gonna skin it. We're just gonna change the theme. <laughs> and then we get in there, and every page was hard-coded into the theme. Yep. Uh the the content was so deeply embedded in the theme that I'm like, we can't change the theme without losing all of your content. Uh so then we had to export all the content, and that added a ton of complexity right there. So you're absolutely right. Um, if uh if somebody says something to the effect of, we think this should be pretty easy for you, uh, or, you know, it's for an expert, you probably know what you're doing, it'll be really easy. Um, that's always a red flag for me. Yep. Um, if I don't want somebody to tell me it's easy. I want to get in there and determine, oh, this is easier than I thought it would be.
0: Yeah, there is no such thing as a rescan. It doesn't exist. <laughs> People always think that it just doesn't. I'm like, nope, 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 doesn't, nope, nope. sorry. Never happens uh, like that. <laughs> No. <laughs> Not as long as I've been doing this and it's yep. been
1: a while. yeah, I mean same same and and you know uh, assume the worst and if it is really just easier, everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised. Your client's going to be happier, you're going to be happier uh, and then you could do either some extra for them or take some money off of the cost or launch faster oh. and that's better than having to bring bad news to your client.
0: There will so. be the person who's just gonna ignore and hope for the best. Who's gonna yeah. lowball it, and and so what I typically tell people is, anybody who thinks who's overly rosy and optimistic about these things, that's probably not a good sign. If they're not talking to you about risks, then that doesn't say to me that this is a person who has bruises and scars. This is a person who's done these things before. Because any of us, you you certainly shared some. And so have I, any of us have been around the block. Like we know that these things are happening and we're talking about them. So if you're someone who wants to buy, you're in the market and those folks aren't talking, well, here's the things that could possibly go wrong. Let's talk about those ahead of time. Let's think that everyone's like, oh, it's great, great, great. Yeah, no, it's 40K, four weeks, no worries. Like I don't trust that person. Yeah. That person is either maybe not being entirely truthful or they're maybe not entirely knowledgeable about what actually has to get done.
1: This episode is brought to you by Creator Courses. Do you feel confused and overwhelmed by the amount of tools to help you build websites? Are you worried that you are not using the best tools for the job? Do you feel like you ought to spend more time building and less time researching? Like you, I thought I needed to learn every tool, language and platform under the sun to be a good web professional. And as somebody who's been doing this for 17 years, I can now tell you, you don't. Creator Courses offer short, focused courses, tutorials and webinars to help you learn the right tools quickly. Then you don't have to waste any more time researching and you can get back to producing billable work, confident that you've made the right choice. And now you can access all of those resources by becoming a Creator Courses member. You'll be able to take any course we offer, including member-exclusive mini-courses on how to use specific tools. You'll also join a great community. And listeners can get 15% off the already low price by going to CreatorCourses/build. Spend less time researching and more time building. Visit creatorcourses.com. Slash build today. There's a reason that sites like Kickstarter require uh, their project people to post risks, right? Because if they haven't thought of the risks, then they're um, maybe misrepresenting their project. So um, always, always consider the risks. Uh, even if it looks like a easy five-page brochure site, you know what? Maybe the client takes you two months or four months to get you content. Uh, and now the whole timeline is blown out, and you don't you don't know when you're going to get to it. So there's there's a lot of there's there's a lot of things to think about. It's always nice to be optimistic, but also be be a realist. Um, and so the last point as we wrap up here is uh, extensibility, and, and this is this is an interesting one to me, right? Because uh, as a software developer, I've always been I've always been taught, you know. Uh, if I'm going to use it more than once, try to generalize it. Try to make things as extensible as possible. But uh, as as you mentioned earlier, that there there could be some pitfalls to that.
0: I think it's going to show up in a couple of places. And in general, as a rule of thumb, yeah, like you shouldn't you know invent a lot of extra stuff. I think that's the question to ask yourself in this situation: is one is that right for the business? So, if you're in a situation where, you know, we're a fast-moving startup, it's a, you know, we're just trying to get going. We're trying to get revenue. We're trying to launch. We're kind of, like, we're kind of up against it. We're not entirely sure about this thing. We need to get it out there and figure it out. It's probably makes sense to not necessarily make it extensible, uh, to make extensibility a problem for another day. Mm-hmm. So, thinking about the business. And what does the business need right now? What does this business need at this moment? And will it be okay to go ahead with that, or are we going to have to pay that down, you know, tomorrow? Or are we going to have to pay that down in a couple of months? And and be willing to make that decision. Be willing to think about that from what makes sense. And and one of our architects likes to say, "Solve for today with tomorrow in mind." But you don't solve for tomorrow because tomorrow mm-hmm. is not guaranteed. Yeah, we may not that. have that. So that's the kind of thing. And you know it. If that's okay and, and you, you make the right call and you get to tomorrow and okay, now it's not working for you, okay, then now we got to fix it. Now we got to build it the right way. But we're building it the right way knowing it's what we need. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Um, was it Martin Beck or Fowler who said, Yagni, you ain't going to need it? Idea <laughs> like if you, when you built it for the, you tried to build everything all at once, like you got there and you found out it wasn't right. So don't do that. Yeah. Um, the second thing is to ask, is it right for the customer? So for example, um, if you have, uh, in the case, this particular case, there were multiple brands. And each brand has a bit of a different customer base they're using, they have a different brand positioning, they have a different value proposition, Forcing everybody to be the same, and I've actually read some recent Forrester research about this, and what Forrester was saying is that their customer experience index that they do every year had been largely flat, that people weren't seeming to grow, that they kind of hit it. And their their per, their hypothesis in their research was that so there was so much sameness,
1: mm. that
0: everything was the same, everything's about the easy, so nothing stood out. Nothing um, provided unique value to the organization. And they they kept lining up all these pictures of these are all the check-ins and these are all the buys and these are all the other things and they were all the same. And so one of the questions to ask yourself is, and this is super dangerous by the way and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Is what is this is great, it's extensible, but is this what my customer needs? Have I sacrificed customer experience or an ability to really delight a customer or create something that's uniquely valuable to a customer at the altar of extensibility? Um the downside here is then you get people who are like, let's make everything different, just to be different, woo, and mm. not test. It's like, no,
1: yeah.
0: this is a very carefully calculated decision. One that I would encourage to do research, test around to say, should this be different because it's we need to solve a problem that's unique to this customer, that's different from those other customers. Um, you know, that's why you know the login experience shouldn't be different, or right, right. checkout, or if it's something that all those products done that's very tactical and everybody knows it. You know, if somebody had a different ATM experience, like that might be really problematic. And it's one of, I think it's Avis actually, while we're on the rental car thing. Avis created a form, and please, I hope I got the right name right. I mean, that might be the wrong rental company. <laughs> and they used asterisks for optional fields. <laughs> You at home may not be able to see the face that he just made, where it's a surprise <laughs> face. It's like normally an asterisk means that something is required. So when they yeah. use asterisks for things that were optional and things that were required did not have asterisks, like everybody's confused. So yep. it's a delicate balancing act between having consistency that provides ease mm-hmm. and having in, in knowing that there are certain things where you really want to. Deliver for your customer and, and differentiate, and have this value proposition—something really special—that's going to make people really want your product. So, kind of knowing what that is, and not just getting stuck in the, well, it all has to be the same, because that right. may not be the
1: right answer. Yep, yep. That's if you're if you're going to make an omelet, differentiate it from the stuff you put in the omelet. Don't swap out eggs for pancakes or something like that. You know, that's like. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um that's uh I, I I love that a lot. I keep saying I like that, but you you're saying a lot of things I really like. Um Definitely ask what's right for the for the business and the customer, um, and solve for today with tomorrow in mind. I think that's something that a lot of people need to remember, and it goes back to like you know when you're launching a product, get that MVP out. Um, don't focus on making it perfect because perfect for you isn't going to be perfect for your users. Um, and I'm reminded of uh, my favorite learning management system plugin for WordPress, which is LearnDash. They launched something quickly. And then they realized maybe they didn't do things the WordPress way, quote unquote, where there are certain guidelines that you should follow. But you know what? It's software. They were able to iterate uh, on that software and push out updates pretty quickly uh, for those things. So they got out a good product, people started to use it, they listened to their feedback, and they pushed out updates. That's uh, the beauty of being able to write software today. So
0: One of our principles of the product mindset, we teach all their, our folks um aligns really well to and that's a great example by the way, I really love that one. I'm gonna to have to remember that is we say minimize time to value. So you, our goal is to get something to our customers' hands as fast as possible. If it's in you on your machine or in a dev environment or it's a mock-up or it's sitting in a prototyping tool, you have not created value. That's activity. Mm-hmm. Value exists in the hands of your customers. So how fast you can get it into their customers, Figure out if it works for them, and go from there. And so, minimize time to value is one of those like key things that people often get wrong because they want to make they want it to be complete, and they want it to be perfect, and they want it to be completely extensible, and they want to be able to serve ten thousand customers before they serve thousand. So. I think the question to ask yourself is: Are we minimizing time to value? Could we deliver something quicker? Could we learn faster? Could we speed this up and and almost push yourself to the point where you, if you feel a little uncomfortable with how fast you've got or how how incomplete it is or how not perfect it is, that's probably okay. Mm. That's probably a good indication. I think it was um, the founder of LinkedIn says, if you think it's good, you probably spent too much time on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a quote that that keeps cropping up in my circles too. It's, um, yeah, if or like uh, or some permutation of that, right? If you don't look back on your first version and cringe, uh, then you probably spent too much time on it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's fantastic. Well, we are well. We're a little bit over time, but that's okay because there's a ton of value here. Um, but I do want to wrap up with my favorite question, uh, even though you've given us so much great advice today. Uh, do you have any trade secrets for us?
0: Trade secrets? Oh, lots. I have <laughs> many NDAs. Um, <laughs> I think the one thing uh, it's just. It was telling somebody on my team um, this, and it's more about how to deal with a client than how to make a good product. But I think it kind of works with what we're talking about. Is some people um, they hold their ideas very closely, and if you want to challenge their ideas, you're challenging them. So what you have to you want to think about if you want to challenge an idea and that person really holds that idea tight. Um, I started off a designer, so I got my butt kicked for the first part of my career. So I don't mm-hmm. hold my ideas very closely.
1: Yeah, That's how I yeah. protect
0: myself. <laughs> but some people do, and so like create that distance. So ask a lot of questions. Try to understand how it furthers the objectives and how how it's gonna help solve for these. How are we gonna manage these kinds of risks? How is it gonna help us achieve these things? Push into it. So don't just challenge the idea right away. Ask a bunch of questions probing questions about what the outcome is going to be from what they're trying to do, and you're going to feel a moment where they start to detach from that idea. That's when you need to, as a freelancer, as someone in an agency, it's that moment where they're willing to they let go a little bit that now you can suggest an alternative and it's not going to come from a defense they have separated so now that they're it's not going to come from they're not going to come from a defensive place now they're really contemplating the idea and then i could say have you thought about this i think this could help in these couple of ways or building off your idea here's something we could do here's an experiment we could do to figure it out so um, if i was going to give you my trade secret what i teach all of my designers and product people <laughs> is create that space and when you feel it ha- open up, that's when you go after the idea and really challenge the idea, and that tends to work a little bit better than just saying, "Yeah, that's dumb.
1: <laughs> it's just not very right." Uh, yeah, absolutely, what great, great trade secret. I love it. Uh, that and something else you said um, about knowing that you don't know reminds me of uh, I went to a Jesuit college, uh, and we studied Socrates. Uh, a lot. And those are two very Socratic things, right? The Socratic oh. method is essentially just like, ask a bunch of questions to get your, in this case, your opponent, uh, into a corner. But you're, you're asking, you know, oh, this is great. Have you thought of this? What, how does it do this? And then they realize maybe they didn't think it through as well as they did. And now they're open to feedback. Um, cause now you're helping them make the idea better. You're not just shooting it down. Yep. Um, Fantastic. Uh, Jessica Hall, thanks so much for joining me. Where can people find you?
0: Um, So I have a book coming out in the fall called The Product Uh Mindset. And if you go to www.productmindset.com, I don't know why I said the W's. Does anybody (laughs) need that anymore? Um, If you go to productmindset.com, you can find out all about the book. And there's some research coming with it as well, some additional research. And uh, it will be out in September which is very exciting. We just got the advanced copies today and don't entirely mm. believe this is happening.
1: That is super duper exciting. Congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. If, it's, if it is your, your first book, I just... Oh, yeah. cool, <laughs> um, Very cool. Uh, so I will link that productmindset.com in the show notes, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff that we talked about, because this is a Resource and advice rich episode. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation, and I will definitely be checking out those resources myself.
1: Thanks so much to Jessica for joining me this week. Uh, I love that we talked about this topic because it's not necessarily um, how she built something, but. It does have a lot of really great themes. Um, And I mean, I just love what she said about if a company doesn't have technical debt, they are probably going out of business. I just I think that's so great because it's something that we're all afraid of. Right. Like, I don't want to have technical debt. Um, But the truth is that as soon as you launch, you'll probably have technical debt. Anyway, uh, thanks to her again. uh, And thanks to our sponsors. Ahoy! Pantheon, and Creator Courses. Without them, this show would not happen. My question of the week for you is, what has been the biggest nightmare project that you've worked on? Uh, You don't have to be specific if you can't name names, but I'd love to hear some of those horror stories, uh, and I might even make it a bonus episode out of it. So uh, let me know by emailing me, joe at howibuilt.it, or via Twitter at jcastabona. That's it for this week. Until next time, get out there and build something.